This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Well, tonight, let's go all the way back to the year I was born, 1942. <laughs> Shocking, isn't it? I had no idea, of course, that when my mother was changing my diapers back then, radio audiences in North America were having a crap scared out of them by a mysterious voice, that of the whistler. Well, today, with all the abilities provided by special effects, it's kind of hard to conceive that thousands of people would have their hair on the back of their neck standing up just from a voice claiming to have the ability to make himself invisible by clouding men's minds. The power is learned from a trip to the Far East. Each episode of The Whistler began with the sound of footsteps and a person whistling. The Saint radio series with Vincent Price used a similar opening. The haunting signature theme was composed by Wilbur Hatch and featured Dorothy Roberts whistling with an orchestra. A character known only as The Whistler was the host and narrator of the tales, which focused on crime and fate and often would taunt the characters. Stories followed a formula in which a person's criminal acts were typically undone, either by an overlooked but important detail by the criminal's own stupidity. An ironic ending, often grim, was the key feature from each episode. Bill Foreman had the title role of the Whistler for the longest period of time. Others who portrayed the Whistler at various times, Gail Gordon, you're familiar with his voice from the radio show Our Miss Brooks, where he played Osgood Conklin, the principal, and the announcer for the Whistler as well, the Bickersons, and later Marv Miller, the actor who portrayed Michael Anthony on TV's The Millionaire. Anyway, tonight's Whistler episode is entitled Urge to Kill. Wait a minute. Have you heard the strange tales of the Whistler? I'm the Whistler. I get a terrible feeling of depression. And then this awful urge comes upon me. The urge to hurt someone. The urge to inflict pain. The urge to kill. Another Sunday night, and again, CBS presents The Whistler. I, The Whistler, know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales. Many secrets hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And so I tell you tonight the unusual tale, the urge to kill. Henry Drake sits in his big office, staring out over the smoking stacks of his busy factory. Production is at its peak. The demands of the past year have brought untold problems to his desk. 
and placed heavy loads on his shoulders. Henry Drake and his partner, Philip Putnam, had started this factory five years ago and built it into a smooth-running, highly profitable organization. Now the added demands of war have more than trebled the production and the worries as well. Phil had put up most of the money and Henry the brain. It was Henry who always had to make the decision. But now something is happening to Henry. He is beginning to slip. His memory is playing tricks on him. Oh, good morning, Ethel. Mr. Putnam wants to know if you studied those contracts last night. Contracts? What contracts? Why, the ones he gave you last night. You said you'd take them home. They must be signed by noon. Contracts? Why, I don't know what you're talking about. When did Phil give me any contracts? What? Just before you left last evening. Well, that's funny. Don't you remember? What? Remember? Well... Yes, yes, I, I do remember now. Yes, yes, of course. Well, may I have them? Well, how? Let me see. What on earth did I do with them? Oh, uh, tell Mister Putnam to step in here. Yes, Mister Drake. Mister Drake would like to see you, Mister Putnam. I'll be right in. I'll ring if I need you, Ethel. All right. Good morning, Henry. What's up? Why, about those contracts you gave me yesterday evening. Just what were they about? What? What do you mean? Haven't you read them? No. No, I haven't. Good heavens, man. They were supposed to be signed by noon today, and it's ten o'clock now. Now, where are they? I don't know where they are, Phil. I, I can't find them. I'm sure I didn't take them home. Oh, you must have. Strange. I can't remember a thing about them. Well, what did you do after you left here? Where'd you go? Why, well, I went home. But as I think I did. Think you did? What's the matter with you, Henry? I don't know, Phil. I can't seem to recall a thing I did last evening. Are you kidding? Certainly not. Why should I kid about such a thing? Well, don't get sore about it. Certainly ridiculous. This is a serious situation. I know, Phil. I know that better than you do. Well, call your home. They've got to be there. Have Rita send them over by special messenger. Yes, sir? Get Mrs. Drake on the phone. You know, it looked very well, Henry. You're as pale as a ghost. Look at the perspiration. What's wrong with you, man? I don't know. I really don't know. I, I feel terrible and... My eyes are bothering me. Bright flashes keep passing in front of me and my ears throb. Oh, hello? Oh, Rita, this is Phil. Henry brought a contract home to study last evening. Look around and see if you can find it. Hmm? Yeah, it's very important. In a blue binder, about 20 pages. What? I see. Thanks. She's in the library now. Oh. Yes? You can't. Yes. I see. Really? Well, all right. Now, call me back. Well, what about it? You have no idea what happened to you after you left here last evening at six? Did I leave at six? Certainly. So did I. She said you didn't come home for dinner. She decided to go to the opera. When she came back at twelve, you didn't come in until one. Said your shoes and trousers were all covered with mud. You went straight to bed. Was it raining last night? Of course it was. I don't remember that. Rita's going to look in the coat and suit you were wearing last night. She'll call me back. What on earth is happening to me? Where could I have gone? Yes? Yes, Rita. Well, you couldn't. I see. Very well, thanks. Goodbye. Not a trace of the contract. Now what? Phil, Phil, I've got to tell you this. 
this isn't the first time this has happened. It's been going on for weeks. About twice every week, a terrible depression comes over me, and then when I wake up, I can't for the life of me remember what happened the night before. Well, maybe the strain has been too much. You better see a doctor at once, Henry. Oh, I know I should, but I'm I'm afraid to. Why? I, I'm afraid of what he might tell me. <laughs> Nonsense. Go and see a doctor right now. I'll go down to your place and search it from top to bottom. Very well, Phil. I'll, I'll go now. I'll be back as soon as I can. in a daze from his office and walks about the city for an hour trying to make up his mind to see a doctor. He doesn't have the courage to tell his own doctor, so he finally decides to visit a psychiatrist. Then he remembers the name of one of the most famous in the country, Dr. Schultz, the state psychiatrist. I know you're not a general practitioner, Dr. Schultz. As a state psychiatrist, I know you're a busy man, but I've read a few of your books and I thought you'd be willing to help me. Well, ordinarily I wouldn't, Mr. Drake, but I know who you are and what you've been doing. I'll do what I can. Thank you, Doctor. Uh, you say you have lapses of memory? Yes. I wake up in the morning and can't remember what happened the night before. In the morning I have headaches and see strange flashes before my eyes and hear throbbing noises. Uh, how often does this occur? About twice a week. But I remember everything I do during the day. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had a serious ailment? No. Ever had an accident? Anything that might have caused a concussion? Well, not that I remember. I may have had as a child. Hmm. Have you been working under an exceptional mental strain? Yes. Yes, I have. The pressure has been more than doubled. For the last year, the problems have been so heavy that I've been unable to sleep. I've studied them until dawn, until finally I was unable to remember them. Hmm. You don't go to sleep easily. No. Not so very late. From all appearances, I wander about until one o'clock in the morning. Where, I don't know. Hmm. You're married? Yes. Uh, what does your wife think of your strange behavior? Well, naturally, she doesn't like it. She says I walk in and go to bed without saying a word. So now she doesn't even ask where I've been. Uh, are you and your wife incompatible? Well, somewhat. Have you ever been interested in another woman? I have not. Uh, any children? No. Hmm. Have you ever been caught in a predicament where you were forced to do something dishonest in order to escape a severe penalty? Well, what do you mean? Well, uh, I'll put it another way. Do you fear anything or anybody? No. Do you hate anything or anybody? Yes. Lately, I dislike my work, my business, intensely. Why? I don't know why. Maybe I've had too much of it. Hmm. Who is uh, closest uh, to you in your work? Well, I... Uh have a partner, and we have a secretary. And who are they? My partner is Philip Putnam. My secretary is Ethel Watson. Oh, you both have the same secretary? Yes. That way we keep things more orderly. Mm-hmm. Could you get along without her? Oh, I never thought of it. She's very capable, but I suppose I could get along without her. Hmm. Does your partner have as much responsibility in the business as you? I do most of the mental work. You resent that? You mean, do, do I think he should take more responsibility? Yes, I do. But he isn't capable. Plays golf and takes days off at a time. Yes, I do resent that. I know nothing can be done about it. Is your partner married? No. For a while, I thought he and our secretary were growing fond of each other, but in the last few months, it seems to have cooled. Hmm. Are your financial affairs in order? Exceptionally so. Never better. Are you worried about the outcome of the war? Well, no, no more than anyone else. I realize it'll keep every nose to the grindstone. And you drink? Oh, I'm temperate. Probably a little more of late. Never took narcotics. No, no. I've tried sleeping tablets, but they did me no good. I see. 
Uh, have you anything further to add to this discussion? I know. But then I must ask you to leave and not come back. What? Well, what do you mean, Doctor? Just that. Leave and don't come back until you decide to tell me the truth. But, but I've been telling you everything I know. No, you haven't. There's something you've been withholding. Good day. Wait a minute. What are you trying to say? I'm not trying to say anything. I've told you that you're holding something back, some fear that you don't want known. But if you want me to help you, you have to divulge everything. All right. I thought maybe you could help me without my telling, but... All right. I'll tell you what it is. That's better. It happens on these mornings when I fail to remember what has occurred the night before. It happens during these spells of fascist noise. What happened? I get this terrible feeling of depression. And then slowly, gradually, the urge comes to me. The urge to what? The urge to hurt someone. The urge to inflict pain, inflict injury on someone. On whom? Anyone. Any person who comes into my mind. Anyone I see or think about. The waitress in the cafe. My secretary. My chauffeur. My wife. My partner. A laborer. Anyone. Have you ever killed anyone, Drake? No, 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 I swear never, and I don't want to. And that's why I'm here. I'm afraid. Afraid of myself. I don't want to harm anyone. I'd rather die. Would you? Yes. All right. Now you know. That's my great fear. Something's got to be done about it. You've got to help me. Very well, Drake. I'm glad you finally told me. Now I know what to do. Know where to start. You... You don't think I'm going... Completely to pieces. Mentally, I mean. No, I don't think so. You think it's just temporary? Uh, let's not talk about it anymore. But what can I do? I want you to stay away from the business for a week. Don't go near it. Don't think about it. I want you to stay in bed as much as possible. Read something in the light vein. Putter about if you like. In the garden, say. Anything but business. At the end of the week, I want to see you again. But above all, rest. Rest your mind and your body. Yes. I understand. And you think you'll... You think that will bring me out of these spells? I think everything will turn out for the best. Well, thank you, Dr. Schultz. I appreciate all this, and I'll, I'll see you in a week. Goodbye, Mr. Drake. And Miss Burton. Yes, Dr. Schultz. Did you take down that interview, Miss Burton? Yes, Doctor. I made a recording of it. Thank you. Henry goes home and stays in bed for three days, according to the doctor's instructions. Then, toward midnight of the third evening, his wife, Rita, comes home and is startled to find him gone. Jackson? Jackson? Oh, uh, yes, Mrs. Drake. Jackson, where's Mr. Drake? Why, Mr. Drake is in his room. But he isn't. He's gone. Gone? But I didn't see him go out, ma'am. When did you see him last? Why, it was uh, about 9.30. I looked in to see if there was anything he wanted before I retired. What did he say? Was he dressed? No, ma'am. He was in bed. He said he didn't want anything and that I might as well turn in. Where on earth could he have gone on a rainy night like this? Well, shall I go out and try to find him, ma'am? No. No, never mind, Jackson. You can go back to bed. Yes, yes, ma'am. Thank you. Hmm. Can't imagine why on earth he'd go out when he wasn't feeling well. Hello? Bill? This is Rita. I just came in and Henry isn't here. I don't know. The butler said he saw him at 9.30 and he was in bed. Why would he go out in the storm? What reason could he possibly have? No, I don't think so. I hope he doesn't. Yes. Good night, Phil. Yes, I'll see you tomorrow evening if possible. Good night. As Rita hangs up the receiver, she suddenly realizes the library door is closed, but a streak of light shows beneath it. She steps quickly to the door and opens it softly. <laughs> <laughs> 
Henry. Huh? What are you doing here? Oh. Hello, Rita. Why aren't you in bed? In bed? Why, I don't know. Who are you phoning? Phoning? Oh, I was just thinking about phoning the doctor. I wanted to talk to him. At this hour of the night? It's 12 o'clock. 12? Yes, yeah, so it is. Wait till morning. Yes, yes. Anyway, I can't remember what I wanted to say to him. Where have you been? Where have I been? I haven't been anyplace. But you must have. Look at your top coat. It's soaking wet. And look at your shoes. They're muddy. That's strange. I don't remember having gone out. I thought I'd been sitting right here all evening. But it's obvious that you haven't been here all evening. You have been out. Perhaps so. This is the second or third time you've come in with your shoes all muddy. Where do you go at this time of night? I tell you, I don't remember. I don't believe you. Whether you do or not, I don't remember where I've been. It's the silliest thing I ever heard of. A man like you, an intelligent man, walking around in his sleep. I couldn't have been asleep. I know that much. Nonsense. Oh, don't be so impatient, Rita. I don't like this any more than you do, but I'm sure I'll be all right in a short time. Dr. Schultz will pull me out of it. Well, I hope so. Have you been out, Rita? Why, of course. I told you early in the evening I was going to play bridge with the Parkers. Oh, perhaps you did, but I don't remember that either. I told you just the same. Oh, I'm sorry, Rita. I know this must be very trying for you. It isn't very pleasant to have a man mope about the house all the time. You'd better go to bed, Henry, and get off those wet clothes. Oh, yes. Rita, why don't you go away for a few days, take a little rest? I know you're terribly upset about all this, and but it would do you good. Wouldn't be exactly right for me to go away at a time like this. What would people think of me? Well, who cares what people think? You can go up to the mountains or down to Miami or, well, any place. Maybe by the time you come back, I'll be all right. You want me to go? I don't want you to go, but I think it would be good for you. You're becoming upset because of me, and I, I think you'd worry less if you got away for a few days. Very well. Perhaps you're right. We'll talk about it in the morning. All right. Good night, Rita. Good night. Henry sits for a while, staring at the telephone, then gets up slowly and shuffles up the steps to his room. He pauses for a few moments before Rita's door, then goes on to his own room and goes to bed. The storm continues in its fury, and from his kennel in the backyard, Duke Rita's Airedale begins to howl. Finally, the storm subsides. Morning comes, and Henry joins Rita at breakfast. What's the matter, Henry? You haven't eaten a bite. No. I'm not hungry. I don't feel at all well this morning. You do look pale. I... I've never seen you so haggard. No? What's the matter with your hands? My hands? Well, yes. You you, you keep staring at them and flexing your fingers. Oh. I don't know. You seem to... It feels like rheumatism. Have some coffee. Yes, yes, I believe I will. Here you are. <laughs> oh, good heaven. All over the floor. Oh, sorry. I just seem to have no grip. Getting bad. I can't even hold on to a cup. Rita. Rita, what have you decided about that trip? I wish you'd take a few days' vacation. 
You sound as though you want to get rid of me. I'm only thinking of you. Very well, if you insist. I'll go up to the mountain place. Eddie will do us both some good. Mrs. Jackson, what on earth are you so excited about? Something terrible has happened. Terrible? What do you mean? Uh, I don't know how to tell you. It's awful. Well, what are you trying to say? It's Duke, your Erdale. Well, what's happened to him? He, he's dead. I just went out to the kennel to unhook his chain, and, and there he was, ma'am. Oh, good heavens. Well, what happened to him? He's been strangled. There he was beside his house, and his tongue was sticking way out. Oh, it's awful, ma'am. Strangled? But why? Oh, he... Well, maybe he got tangled up in his chain, but it didn't appear so, ma'am. Somebody did it deliberately. Oh, the poor fellow. I I can't imagine such a thing. Wait a minute, Rita. I wouldn't go out there. Oh, but I must. Please don't. It'll just upset you. Please don't go. Very well. But... Oh, I'm, I'm just sick all over. Oh, now, now, Rita, I know how you <laughs> feel, and it's a shame. Jackson, tell the maid to pack Mrs. Drake's things. She's going to the mountains for a few days. <laughs> Henry Drake sits staring at his hands for a few moments, opening and closing them, opening and closing them. Then suddenly he leaves the house and rushes to Dr. Schultz's office. What is wrong with you, Drake? You weren't to come here today after tomorrow. I had to see a doctor. Something terrible has happened. Now, 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 now. Just calm down, calm down. Take it easy. Sit down, Drake. It happened in the night. What happened? You, my wife's dog, he was killed last night. Killed? Well, how did that happen? He was strangled, choked to death. Well, who did it? It... I must have done it. You? Oh, come now. What makes you think that? I can't remember a thing about it. I can remember nothing of last night, but I must have done it because of my hands. What's wrong with your hands? They hurt. The muscles are terribly sore as though I'd been doing something strenuous. I see. And look at this mark on my thumb. It's a long cut as though something sharp dragged across it. You mean like a tooth? Yes. Why not? A dog's tooth. Hmm. Certainly does. You really think you killed the dog? What do you think, Doctor? Well, I suppose it's possible. But there's no proof. Could be coincidental. I don't think so. I must have done it. He never disturbed the neighbors that I know of. Did you like the dog? Why, of course. I was very fond of him. Don't you see what this means? I've been afraid of something like this. Heaven knows what else I've done when I've been in these lapses. You've got to do something for me. Drake, I'm going to have to put you through all the tests. It'll take some time... But I think we can get at the root of your trauma. Do anything, anything you say. We'll start right now. Uh, Miss Burden, get Dr. Fenton. I want him to assist me in a complete examination. Yes, Dr. Shultz. Now, Drake, just relax and continue staring into this little beam of light. We want you to answer these questions as quickly as possible. Yes. You're crossing a street. An automobile suddenly bears down upon you, you see? Yeah. In an effort to save yourself, you jump out of the way. Yeah. You jump forward or backward? Why, backward? Why? I can jump backward quicker than I can forward. Repeat after me as rapidly as possible. One, two, three, five, six, eight, nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, nine. You have no children? No. But you are married? Yes. Suppose you had a child. You come home at night and discover your house is on fire. Your wife and child are alone, asleep on the second floor. Would you try to rescue them first or call the fire department? Uh, uh, call the fire department? I see. Get all that with the timing, Miss Burton? Yes, Doctor. Now, Drake, keep your eyes on the black dot. Follow it closely as it moves. I'm going to call out a series of words. As I call them, you will answer the word or phrase suggested by what I say. Yes. Green. Grass. Roses. Funeral. Orange. Sunset. Honeysuckle. Home. Violet. White. Red. Blood. 
Dog. Hand. Auto. Wreck. Rain. Mud. Love. Hate. Very well, Drake. Here, rest for ten minutes and we'll proceed to the next test. Uh, how do your hands feel? Huh? Oh, why, uh, about the same. All right. Uh, come with me, Miss Burton. So on through the day, at various intervals, the psychiatrist continues his examination. And finally, Drake goes home completely exhausted. For an hour or two, he dozes in the library. And about 9.30, Jackson, the butler, steps into the room. Big pardon, sir. Huh? Oh, Oh, where have you been, Jackson? Why, no one was here, sir. I went over to visit my brother for a few hours. Where's Mrs. Drake? Why, she's going to Miami for a few days, sir. Said to tell you she thought she'd better go today. Took the six o'clock train this evening. Oh, I see. Anything you want, sir? No, no, you, you can turn in if you like. Yes. Thank you, sir. Good night. All right. Henry sits staring into the dark for almost an hour. And slowly he rises. As if in a daze, puts on his hat and coat. Gets out of the house. He starts to walk about in the night. Finally, he comes to an apartment house, climbs to the top floor, and knocks on the door. Henry, what are you doing here? I want to talk to you, Phil. Oh, come in. What's the matter with you? Sit down. I don't want to sit down. Just as you like. What do you want to talk about? You have your bags packed. Are you going someplace? Why, yes. I'm driving down to Boston for a week on business. On business? Yes, I'm business. I tried to reach you today, but was unable to. What on earth's wrong with you? What are you staring at? You sure you're going to Boston? Certainly I'm sure. <laughs> what are you laughing about? You aren't going to Boston. I know where you're going. I tell you, I'm going to Boston. I don't believe you. What are you talking about? Rita's gone to Miami. Why don't you go to Miami, too? Wouldn't you like that better? I think that'd be very jolly. Oh, for heaven's sake, stop this nonsense. Is Rita here? Certainly not. Why should she be here? I wonder. <laughs> Didn't you think of any reason? I think you're out of your mind. Do you? Really? You certainly act like it. Oh, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm perfectly sane. Oh, crazy people think they're sane. Maybe I am crazy, but I don't feel crazy. I'm perfectly normal. <laughs> you better go home. You're in no condition to be wandering around. Where's Rita? I don't know where Rita is. She hasn't been here? No. You're lying, Phil. She has been here. That's ridiculous. Look. Here in the ashtray, one of Rita's special made cigarettes. Why, I put that there. I thought I'd try them. Really? When did you take to using lipstick, Phil? All right. She was here, but she left to catch a train at six o'clock. And you'll catch the next one, is that it? She came here to talk about you. She's terribly upset about your condition. She thinks... Well. Well? What does she think? She's become afraid of you. Oh, has she? And what caused that? Well, she... Why wouldn't she be upset? You've been acting like a lunatic. She thinks you killed her dog. Did you? I don't remember. Maybe I did. <laughs> I, uh, I've got to hurry. My train leaves in half an hour. There's no train for Boston for three hours, but the train to Miami leaves in half an hour. You'd better go home, Henry. Why don't you admit it? Why lie about it? You're meeting her in Miami. Get out of here. You and Rita are in love. I know it. I've known it for weeks and weeks. Last night I found out for sure. You're crazy. Maybe I am. I heard you both talking on the phone. She didn't know I was listening in on the extension in the library. I heard you agree to meet at a certain time. That's what I've been waiting for. Now I know. All right, all right, whatever. Well, you've been acting is enough to make any woman dislike you. Oh, so you admit it. Yes, now get out of here. <laughs> Henry, put away that gun. 
All right. I'm going to leave it right here when I'm through with it. I'm going to kill you. You insane fool. You can't get away with a thing like this. You can't prove anything about Rita and me. They'll hang you. I don't think so. Don't you remember? <laughs> I'm crazy. I'll fix you. Police department. Go ahead. Call them. That's fine. Oh, this is Phil Putnam, Rexy apartment. There's a madman in my room. He's trying to kill me. Great. <laughs> What a shame, Phil. You've missed the train. Well, it's all over, Henry. Sit down now and wait for the police. You won't have any more mental lapses now, will you, Henry? You won't need to. <laughs> That's a job, Henry. And very beautifully planned. Everyone knows about your mental lapses, your illness, your desire to harm people. Rita knows about the dogs. Your secretary knows about the contract. And most important of all, Dr. Schultz knows that you've been suffering from a mental disorder for weeks. <laughs> oh, there'll be a trial. Your plea will be insanity. You'll go away for a while. And all of a sudden, you'll be cured and walk out a free man. <laughs> now we're in the courtroom. Dr. Schultz, the psychiatrist, is speaking. Mr. Drake came to me with a trouble some weeks ago. Later, Dr. Fenton and I psychoanalyze him thoroughly. Here is a signed statement of our findings at that time, attached to our findings as of yesterday. Henry Drake was then, and is now, absolutely sane. The whole thing was a plan to escape the death penalty for premeditated murder. <laughs> well, there you go, Henry. The whole thing blew up in your face. A beautiful plan gone haywire. You should have spent less time thinking about your revenge, Henry, and more time studying psychology. Too bad. CBS has presented The Whistler. Original music for this production is composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. The Whistler is written and directed by J. Donald Wilson and originates from Columbia Square in Hollywood. Stay tuned for Red Skelton next on Theater of the Mind. Time now to see what wacky character will emerge tonight on The Red Skelton Show. The episode's entitled Junior's Camping Trip. Well, there's a hint. Ladies and gentlemen, the following program was prepared for you. We hope you're prepared for it. <laughs> From Hollywood, Procter & Gamble presents the Red Skelton Show, starring Red Skelton, Dave Rose and his orchestra, our singing stars, The Four Nights. Verna Felton, Loreen Tuttle, Pat McGee, and yours truly, Rod O'Connor. <laughs> yes, it's the Red Skelton Show, brought to you by Tide, Procter & Gamble's amazing new discovery for your whole family wash. <laughs> Thank you.
And now, from Metro-Golden-Mare, the star of our show, Red Skelton. Thank you very much, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. How are you, O'Connor? How are you, Skelton? I'm a little tired, and I've been up all night. What doing? Guarding my gas tank. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be up all night tonight, too. But why are you going to stay up all night tonight? You're out of gas now. I know, but I look silly siphoning in the daytime. (laughs) I rode down here tonight on the bus. Boy, was that thing crowded. They were in there like sardines. Really? Huh? Really? Yeah. Everybody got off with a fishy stare. for gas. How are you fixed for gas? Okay, but it's my own fault. Everybody tells me I eat too fast. <laughs> well, let's try what's written here uh-huh. now. <laughs> well, this is our second show. Yeah. Uh, tell me, were you as nervous uh, as you were last week? Am I as nervous? No, I wasn't too nervous last week. Well, tell me you weren't nervous. Before the show, I said, uh, let me shake your hand. You should, uh, said, why? It's doing okay, but... <laughs> not to go to a cheap dentist. It happens every time. He's not kidding you. I was nervous. No kidding. I was so nervous last week, I put my hand on the dressing room table and I got an answer from the spirit world. So you did all right on the Life of Riley program that follows us, Yeah, you know, this is a nice setup on Friday night. Mm -hmm. If our show dies, Digger Odell, the friendly undertaker, comes in. (laughs) Sorry I said that. I'd like to say it's good to be working with you again, well, Red. thanks, Rod. I'd like to say it's good to be working with you again. Mm-hmm. Now that we've said what's written here, I'd like to say it's good to be eaten again. <laughs> well, Red, last week you started to tell me about your vacation. Uh, yeah. Tell me, did you do any horseback riding? Oh, yeah, that's wonderful. The morning you get on the horse and you leave the dirty old smoky city, you ride all day and you just bounce around until you get to the top of the mountain. And mm-hmm. that night you got a beautiful view of the dirty old smoky city. <laughs> Well, tell me, did your wife, Georgia, enjoy sleeping out? I'll get killed for this. <laughs> Do I ask me again? All right. Tell me, did your wife, Georgia, enjoy sleeping out? <laughs> she must have. She snored so loud, seven moose answered her. Tides in. Dirt's out. Tide gets closed cleaner than any soap. Any soap? Yes, any soap. Oh, just a minute. I hate to interrupt good singing like that, but what about all them newfangled sudgers I've been reading about in the pictures and catalogs? <laughs> well, Clem, Tide gets closed cleaner than any soap, any other suds, any other washing product known. There just isn't any other wash day product like Procter & Gamble's Tide. Friends, remember that the next time you go shopping. Nothing you can buy will wash your clothes as clean as Tide. Because Tide not only leaves clothes free from dirt, it removes dingy soap film, too. And that happens to your whole family wash. From your special occasion linens down to your everyday work clothes. Yet with all this remarkable cleaning power, Tide is truly safe for all your washable colors. What's more, colored things get a new lease on brightness. Tide actually brightens those soap-dulled colors. As for your white things, in hardest water, Tide gets them whiter than any other washing product known. And Tide keeps them white, too, week after week, never turns them yellow. But remember, Tide is the one, the only wash day product in the world that gives you all this, the cleanest, brightest, whitest wash you ever hung on the line. 
folks, from your uh, reports last week, you all seem to like the Four Nights. And here they are again to sing St. Louis Blues. Sooner or later, you'll run into a guy that don't stop for a red light or vice versa. Don't lose your head, though, because the guy might be one of them woolly lump lump fellers. Why, well, it's nothing like living dangerously. <laughs> We're sideswiping more cars now. Look, Mr. Oldfield, will you stop this junk heap? I'd like to get out. I can't stop. There's no curbs handy. Must you have a curb to stop? Oh, no, no, no. Point out a brick wall, that'll do. Do you mean there are no brakes on this thing? No, I don't believe in loading the car down with a lot of excess, excess. I don't know why you let anyone swindle you with this thing. Oh, it was easy. I was just walking up the street, went by a, one of them used car lots, looked in my wallet. Next thing I knew, I was yelling, put me down. <laughs> the dealer was awful nice, though. He offered to carry my wallet and everything. <laughs> car only cost $2,000. I ain't bad for a Stanley steamer, you know. <laughs> 
say that you paid $2,000 for this ash can on wheels? Oh, when I think of all the intelligent men I could have married, it just makes me ill. Yeah, well, it makes me pretty sick, too. <laughs> just keep on. Shut up, Willie. <laughs> now, don't you yell at me, Willie Lump Lump. And watch where you're driving. Good heavens. What was that that just hurtled across the radiator? That's the pedestrian, the cowards. They're pole vaulting. I wish you'd at least bought an antique with windows in it. I never noticed before. This ain't got a windshield in it. No, this ain't got a windshield in it. (laughs) I was wondering why that windshield wiper kept smearing my nose all over my face. Oh, I'm freezing. If you were the right kind of a husband at all, you'd see that I was shivering and half-frozen. I'm so cold, I've turned purple. Well, I must say it's more becoming to you than your usual green. (laughs) I don't know if it's your remarks or if it's the air that's coming in that's making me so cold. Oh, I don't get it. Look, I'm sorry I yelled at you, lost me. Say, you are cold, aren't you? Your goose pimples are riding each other piggyback. Wait a minute, there's a blanket in the back seat. I'll get it for you. Willie, keep your hand on the wheel! (laughs) Well, you nearly killed me. I hope you're satisfied. No, I'm not. (laughs) Can we go around the block and try again? (laughs) Well, where's the blanket? Look, it's in the back seat. I'll get it if you'll hold on to the wheel like a... Hey, what's all this junk in the back seat? Oh, how should I know? Just get the blanket. Yeah, I will. Just a minute. I'll turn the page. See what I'm going to do next. Here it is. <laughs> I'll just pull the blanket from under this stuff. Say, <laughs> that reminds me. I got to go to the musician's convention again next year. <laughs> With a mortar. I told you to hold the wheel. I'm holding the wheel, all four of them. Did we hit that other car? Huh? Did we hit that other car? That's a brilliant remark. I don't think it had a nervous breakdown from fright. Boy, I sure aged that baby fast, didn't I? Huh? Now look, I look, the other driver, I better be careful with him there. Why? I don't think them shoulder pads and his shoulders are pads. <laughs> it what it says, but it's got to do. <laughs> Look, let me handle it. <laughs> you keep your big mouth out of this. <laughs> you don't stop saying my mouth is big. Well, it is. Every time you yawn, you swallow your head. So. <laughs> Hiya, buddy. Imagine meeting you here, huh? You all right, buddy? Don't worry about a thing. I got plenty of insurance, buddy. Uh, you all right, buddy? Hey, buddy, take your head out of the ex- exhaust pipe and answer me. <laughs> oh. yeah. Well, I am a bit yeah. shaken. Yeah, you are. Tell me, weren't you driving on the wrong side of the street? No, I was driving on the same side you were, only you were coming the other way. <laughs> Well, tell me, do you always drive side saddle? No, I bought this car from a used car dealer, and the price through the car a little out of line. <laughs> Is anybody in your car injured? Your oh. wife looks nauseated. Now you ought to steer without makeup on it. 
you okay? Yes, I, I think so. Well, you're all right. Now, look, don't worry about a thing. I got plenty of insurance. Here, take a swig of this. It's really tonic. That'll bring you around, boy. Oh, thanks, but I'm not... Go ahead, swallow it. Well, just, I... just hold on to your eyeballs and swallow it. <laughs> well, uh, I'll try it. Go right ahead, boy. <coughs> what did you say that stuff was? Willy Lump Lump Peptonic. That's pre-war stuff. Providing the war breaks out tomorrow. <laughs> Take another gulp now. Go right ahead. Now, don't worry about it. I sure sneaked up on you, didn't I? Yeah, thank you. <coughs> <coughs> I'm feeling better already. Good, I, good. I think my tonsils just dissolved. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you don't look very comfortable balanced on your ear that way. Better lay down in the gutter. You'll Uh-oh. feel better. Go ahead. Right. Uh, don't worry. I'm covered with insurance. You've got All nothing right. to worry about. Uh, you want another swig? Just help yourself. Uh-oh. Here comes the Dick Tracy's of tomorrow. Uh, just relax. Don't worry about a thing now. Don't worry about a thing. Well, looks like you boys were playing leapfrog with your automobile. Yes. Yeah. What happened? What happened? Smell that man's breath and ask no more questions. <laughs> and now Dave Rose in the Procter & Gamble August to play Authentic Music of the West.
Thank you, Dave Rose. And now a page from our Mean Little Kids Diary. Have you ever bundled up the family and gone on a camping trip? One of them places where it's nice, peaceful, and quiet-like? Yes, sir, there's nothing like it. Unless, of course, you by chance camp around where Junior, the mean little kid, is. Lorene, uh, where's Junior? I don't know. Junior! Junior, where are you? Oh, he's up, you know, sitting on the edge of the cliff, dangling with feet. <laughs> Come here, that's a 16,000-foot drop. Well, wipe the smile off your face, kiddo. I ain't going to fall. Junior? Yeah? Come here to me. What you want, Junior? Don't you ever do a thing like that again. Why? Why, you could have fallen into that camp in the valley and hurt someone. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, what we come up here for anyway, huh? I can let you equip it home and everything you bring me up in the morning. Junior. You mean you don't enjoy the idea of climbing the home? No, I child. Someday you'll realize that to get away from the noise of this city and just relax and enjoy the sound of the earth is a rare privilege. Really? Hey, now, more, did the Indians used to live up here in the woods? Oh, yes, dear. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, those must have been the days. You should know. <laughs> they had no high prices then. Why, if the Indians wanted food, all they had to do was to go out and shoot it. Shoot it? Yes. The woods are full of good things to eat. No kidding. Well, hand me a bow and arrow. I'm going to shoot myself an ice cream cone. <laughs> Stay right here. Dinner will soon be ready. Oh, what you going to burn tonight, Mom? <laughs> oh, no. Don't insult my cooking. Ah. And, Junior, stop scratching. I have to scratch. Why? I'm the only one knows where it is. <laughs> you didn't tell me what we're going to eat tonight. You're going to eat the fish I caught. The fish you caught? Yes. You mean Grandpa? We're going to eat Grandpa? No! <laughs> a trout. Well, he's a, he's a racetrack trout. <laughs> Mother, I wonder who that man is walking this way. Where? Look at him. Oh, he's probably one of the other campers. Now, 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 remember, we're only here for the night and no extra no supplies extra either. Supplies. Hmm. This guy looks like a chiseler. Yeah. Howdy, folks. Howdy, Chisler. Junior! <laughs> Junior, you apologize. Why, because I said it before you did? Lady, is this your little boy? I yeah, uh, but I doubt if they'll admit it without a third degree, kid. <laughs> well, I hate to bother you, but my coffee pot is missing. Well, go out and wouldn't shoot yourself one, would you? For you. <laughs> We're only here for one night, and I'm sorry, but we only have one coffee pot. And I'm keeping me fishing worms in that. I hate to contradict you, lady, but you have two coffee pots. Now, look, Mr... Uh... Uh, Brown, Jim Brown. I have that lookout tower up there. Now, what were you saying about us having two coffee pots? Well, I'm very sorry to mention it, but... uh... Well, I... I had to take a ride down the trail to check on some careless folks who if left you know the campfire burning. You know good for me, you'll keep your mouth shut. <laughs> and then, uh, when I looked through my binoculars, I... You're what? <laughs> What the binicular, huh? Sounds like a fish. Anyhow, when I looked through my binoculars, I I saw this 
I saw this little boy coming down the ladder out of the lookout tower with my coffee pot. Well, I can't oh. believe Junior would do such a thing. He's such a sweet, well-mannered youngster. Oh, you dreamer, you. <laughs> well, how about it, son? Well, how do you know it was me coming down the ladder? How, don't, how do you know it wasn't some well-dressed bear or something? I'm sure it was. The boy had on a white T-shirt... With a skull and crossbones on it. What else he had on? He was also wearing blue jeans. Well, is I wearing anything like that? Good. Junior, hmm? put your clothes back on. <laughs> now, look, young man, did you take this man's coffee pot? Answer me. I don't go around answering strange questions, kiddo. Oh, now let me talk to him. Oh. Uh, Junior, dear. The muffity guppy. Listen. <laughs> yes, Namor, dear. Now tell Nama and tell Nama the truth, dear. Yes. Did you take the coffee pot or not? You want me to tell you so? You can tell them. I'm wise to you, blabbermouth. <laughs> Don't you hit me. You hit me and I'll tell on you. You'll tell what? I'll tell everybody you used to be a bartender. <laughs> I have us no such thing. Oh, no. Hey, Verna, two beers. Bottle or draft? <laughs> Uh, look, Sonny, I have to get back up to the lookout tower. Yeah. So, man to man, where is my coffee pot? Man to man, it's behind that tree over there. Well, it's man to mother, Junior. Come here. Why? Now, what you did was dishonest. Now, you must be punished. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. You hit me. You hit me. You hit me. You broke my widow. You broke my widow. You broke my widow. I don't know. It hasn't started hurting yet. <laughs> well, folks, I've got to get going. Good. Be sure to put your campfire out. Yep. And remember this. Two minutes of being careful can save 50 years of trees. We'll, we'll be, be careful. careful. We'll Thank be you. careful. We'll be and, careful. And, uh, hmm? Junior, yes. you don't play with matches, do you? No, sir, boy. I got my fingers burned once. I don't play with them now. I got a cigarette lighter. <laughs> Junior! <laughs> Dear, at times I'm sorry I took him out of the baby carriage before I gave it away. <laughs> Can I go play? Yes, run along. Now, Junior, don't make any noise. No. You might disturb the other campers. Yes. And don't throw stones. No, so you might hit someone. Yeah. And don't breathe. Somebody else may want the oxygen. <laughs> hey, kid, look out. Why don't you watch where you're going? Now you tripped over that rope and knocked my tent down. Yeah. Is that all you've got to do, go around wrecking tents? No, you ought to see me with a house. <laughs> I can match. Yeah, hey, what's he doing there? What, what is that thing? What I'm putting up my pup tent. What's the matter? You in a dog house? <laughs> Look, kid. Hmm? Run along. Yeah. Go see how far you can lean over that cliff. Yeah. It's a cat. It's a black one. Here, now, don't you cross my path or you'll have bad luck. <laughs> oh, it's okay. You can cross me path. You're not all black. He's got a white streak down his back. <laughs> come here, come here, come here. I got a kitty cat at home, too. <laughs> Something around here is dead. Look <laughs> at It can't be him because he's walking around. <laughs> Boy, that cat must have an awful bad cold. He walk around like there's nothing happening at all. <laughs> now I got you. <laughs> I believe it's the cat. <laughs> boy, how'd you get so dirty? Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Your mother must have pampered you because you really spoiled. <laughs> Namor and Mummy, they, they love you. Oh, look, there's that lookout man. I'll go see if you belong to him. I've already learned one lesson about taking things that don't belong to him. Hey, mister, mister lookout man, 
Aren't you? Oh, ain't you up in your tower? Well, I just can't quite get up the pep to climb up those steps. Oh, hey, is this little kitty cat yours? Great! Stop! Yeah. <laughs> Well, you got up that 500 feet awful quick. I wonder why he don't like kitty cats. Of course, I don't blame him. This, this cat ain't exactly the type that makes friends easily, you know. Uh, oh, the man has his chin up. Come on, I'll introduce you to him, see? Come on here. Hiya. Well, I see you finally got your pup tent up. Yeah. Yeah, well, don't you let your pup tent take my cat. Look, I found a tomcat. Get him away from here. Where are you going? taking it down for, mister. Where are you going, mister? Why they're all leaving. We got an idea, ain't we, folks? <laughs> come on, come on, kitty cat, come on. I was gonna give you a bottle of milk, but I think I'll change it to a bottle of airwick now. <laughs> hey, Namor, look what I got. Look, what is it, Junior? Look. Bring it closer, dear. I, I can't see without my glasses. Oh, my goodness! Oh, Mother, come and get the car! <laughs> Don't you want to see what Junior brought us? Yes. It might be something nice. Well, it's nothing to be sniffed at, I'll tell you. That. <laughs> Put my glasses on. Good heavens, a polecat! Don't you drop that animal? Hey, wait, it's just a thing for around the house. Take him home. I bet the mice would come out and surrender the minute he walked in. <laughs> I bet he'd even kill Morse's baby, you know? What's the matter? I'll see you later, cat. My folks are trying to get away from me. In fact, I'd like to get away from myself right now. <laughs> hey, wait for me. Let me in. Let me in the car. Let me in. We will, just as soon as you go take off all your clothes and go bathe in that little stream over there. Okay, my dear, don't go away without me. We will. Okay. <laughs> Boy. Close up as fast. Woo, that water's cold. I sure got myself into trouble now. Well, that just goes to show you if you associate in the wrong company, you can become a stinker too. <laughs> Thanks for being with us tonight. We hope you liked our program well enough to be with us next week. So until next Friday, this is Red Skelton saying thanks for listening and thanks for buying more and more of that Wash Day Miracle Tide. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's yours truly, Johnny Dollar, followed by Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.